Hey, I'm Drew. And I'm Tim. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In episode 47, we talked to Dan Jasperson about being a story maker. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Tim Babbler, joined as always by my co-host, Drew Steinenberg. Drew, how are things going for you? Going pretty well. Uh, we were so excited to have Dan Jasperson on the podcast a few weeks back. I personally was kind of geeking out about having a magician on. So we decided to have him back because he was so much fun to talk to. And he's, he has this idea that he, he likes to think of himself as a story maker rather than a storyteller. And we're just going to let him explain what he means by that. Let's get to the interview. Today, we're excited to welcome Dan Jasperson back to the podcast. Welcome back, Dan. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Dan, for those who may have missed your first episode, would you please give just a brief introduction to yourself? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a magician. I'm, a, I'm an artist that creates with magic and performer. I've got a background in experimental theater and juggling and writing and magic. And so today, most of my work is for corporate clients and, and different secular groups, uh, performing as a magician, as an entertainer for their different kinds of functions. And I live out in Cheyenne, Wyoming with my family and work kind of all over the country, wherever people want me to go. Cool. Well, it's great to have you back on. And um, I'm sorry to butt in. I'm going to go okay. off. I'm going to go off script real quick here. What is yeah. experimental theater? <laughs> okay so you i don't know have you guys had peter bladel on the podcast yet have not yet but we won't not yet oh man buckle up for that one folks <laughs> so here's here's the teaser for pete bladel's interview when i was a student at bethany in mankato bethany every fall at the very top of the school year they do this thing called theater physics and it's it's part of the theater program there and it's it's one of the scheduled shows every year but auditions are in the first like three or four days of classes beginning right in September. They just had it just now as we're recording this, but they, they get a cast of like 10 people. Usually it's half guys, half girls, and you have two or two and a half weeks to go from zero script, zero show to full length, two hour production. And it's this just incredible deep dive into the creative process, into teamwork, into uh, we got to throw stuff at a wall and see what sticks. <laughs> um, and and so in that process, I was in that show several times when I was a student. And I think every year I had to learn something new for the show. It's not just about learning lines like in a play. We did, there were scripted parts, but there are other things that were like, I have to learn a new form of juggling for this show or i have to learn one year we did a thing with ping pong balls and like this whole spitting a ping pong ball up in the air and catching it back in your mouth thing and juggling ping pong balls and uh using the paddles to do weird things and and all the time you know there's got to be a, a technical technical proficiency to it but also an entertainment value to it and we used to talk about it as it's called theater in the raw where it's just this really raw, it's not a polished show. It's, it's this kind of raw version of theater and entertainment and vaudeville and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. So 
several years of that when I was in college. And now as a magician and, and kind of in a former life as a juggler, whenever I write my shows and I still like sit down and write my shows out, I, I don't know. I kind of always lean back on that experience and, and look at, you know, what would we have done with this idea back then? And uh, I have the pleasure, you know, Pete and I are still friends and, and he calls me once in a while and says, Hey, how do you do this magic trick? <laughs> you know, every once in a while, I, I taught them how to do a couple things a couple years ago. And, and every time that I'm back on Bethany's campus, Pete and I get together and juggle and talk magic and talk weirdness. Like a lot of weirdness comes out in those <laughs> conversations. So that's your teaser for when you have Pete Bladel on the podcast. And I think that's as good as I can get at defining experimental theater in my experience. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in our in our talkings before uh, sitting down to record this, Dan, one of the things that you had said is it's very difficult to create magic that is real. So first, could you explain the distinction between real magic and, and bad magic? And then secondly, why is real magic so difficult to create? Yeah, I love this question. I think I think that there are... I think everybody in the world, maybe not everybody in the world, but a lot of us, most of us, have seen bad magic. I think most of us have like an old Uncle Chuck that used to pull a quarter out from behind our ear and, you know, pretend to make it vanish and all that kind of stuff. So I think I think most of us recognize when the magic is bad. I think that's easy to spot. Deep down at its core, magic is is part of the theater arts, the performance arts. And um, in a normal play, like let's say that we're going to go go and see a show, we're going to go see Peter Pan on stage, and and the audience is expected to sit back in their seats and enjoy the show. And there's this idea of the the fourth wall where the you know the reality on the stage is pretend, and everybody in the room, the audience knows that it's pretend. It's a play. Peter Pan is the boy that never grew up, but he's being played by a girl. And when he <laughs> flies, you know, when he flies, you can see the wires and you can actually hear the pulleys that pull him up. And everybody breaks out into song and they dance and there's a crocodile chasing Captain Hook and all this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. And and we as an audience, we don't care. We don't care because, you know, there's the, the idea, Rene Descartes' Uh, willing suspension of disbelief where we sit in the audience and we willfully suspend our judgment. We willfully suspend all of that logic and reason so that we can enjoy that story. And so we don't, we don't care that we can actually see the wires or hear them. It's a play and we get it. Magic is the, almost the opposite of that. The wires need to be invisible. The sound needs to be non-existent. The, you know, and the audience, there's no fourth wall, at least in my show. There are magic shows that, that have that, that wall, but at, the way that I perform is deeply interactive and deeply engaging with the audiences. And, and there's a big difference between performing on a stage, you know, for me, either on a stage or in a close-up situation where I'm literally standing with you in a, you know, at a cocktail party or, or something like that where you're touching the props, you're pulling a card out of the deck or you're holding a coin or, you know, whatever it is. And so there, it's very interactive and kind of circling back to the idea that we've all seen bad magic. 
we all, you know, had that cheesy uncle that would do that stuff. When you see that, when you see magic done really, really well, and where everything is impossible and is invisible and and is is nearly breathtaking, that's a totally different experience than knowing exactly where that quarter that came from your ear vanished to his pocket, you know? Sure. So on top of wanting to create real magic, you also, in talking to us, said you want it, or you think of yourself as being a story maker rather than a storyteller. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? What is a story maker? Yeah. Oof. Well, storytellers are normally writing something and, or presenting something and telling a story. They're telling you a story that's happened in the past. A story maker is real time. We're going to do it right now. And so, for example, I, I might have you pull a card out of, the, out of my deck. And actually, here's a better example. I might hand you a fork, a regular dinner fork, just a metal dinner fork. Anybody who's seen me perform has probably seen me do this trick because I love it so much. And I will hand you also a permanent marker, and I'll have you sign the fork. When's the last time you guys signed a fork? <laughs> Never. <laughs> so, so right there, we've got something that's weird and different and, and unique to that moment in your lives. And then I'll say, hold out your hand, and right above your hand, that fork starts to bend. Just one of the tines, just one of the little tines on the end of it, but very visibly and very definitely the fork bends. And you checked it out. I gave it to you beforehand. It's hard. It's real. It's stainless steel. It's a legitimate fork. And then over the course of the next two or three minutes, the fork bends three or four more times. And sometimes it's in your hand. Like I give it to, I usually give it to a person to hold and I say, here, you hold it. (laughs) And then it, and it bends in their hand. And at the end, I give it to the person that signed it. And I say, here, this is yours. You can take it home with you. You know, and, and so what happens in that moment is we just created a new story for that person to go off and tell. And so my goal as a performer is to create a story, to make a story with you right now in real time so that tomorrow when you go back to work or you go back to your friends or whatever, you, you're going to talk about it. You're going to tell that story. You know, And so part of my goal as a performer is to, to create this experience that uh, sticks in people's minds and is is very unique and singular in their experience. So in that way, I'm a I'm a maker of stories for people. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, and I think that also kind of brings up a, a difference between magic and and some other art forms. A lot of times, when you talk to a, a Christian artist about being creative, they they will draw parallels to like. God the Father being a creator and that we're made in his image so we also have this desire to create. But the way you just talked about that is more reminiscent of the way Jesus operated that Jesus created stories that people went and told. You have some examples of this, right? Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite lines and and I think that the meaning of these lines has always been a little bit debatable. So many times in scripture Jesus will perform whatever miracle it was, whether it was, you know, feeding the 5,000 or healing some sick people or, you know, whatever it was. And then he'll look at his disciples and he'll go, 
don't tell anybody about this. <laughs> and, and, and I've always wondered, like, was he serious? What does that mean? Like, what, why, why should they not talk about this? And so I've always enjoyed that idea of, of the disciples, not just the, the 12 immediate apostles that we always think about, but like Jesus had a following. He had hundreds of people following him from city to city by the time he was done with his ministry. And so hundreds of people were witnessing these things. And then he would turn around and look at the crowd and he'd go, guys, don't talk about this. <laughs> what? <laughs> I can't help but talk about it, right? Yeah. There is there is one great example that I can think of in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus encounters this man who's been possessed by a demon and he's across the sea of Galilee at this point. He he is not in in Galilee or Judea. He's he's actually almost in foreign territory here and he meets this man who's been possessed by a demon. And the man has incredible strength as a result of it, and he is, he is dangerous to himself and to others, and he's been chained to the ground. And uh, so when he encounters Christ, Jesus expels this demon, and the man kind of comes back to his normal natural senses, and, and uh, they, they release him from his chains, and immediately this man goes, Jesus... I'm going to go with you. I'm going to follow you. I am prepared to drop everything and follow you because you healed me, because you, you got rid of that demon that was plaguing me. And instead, Jesus says, nope, no deal. You are not coming with me. He says, go back home and tell your family and friends about your encounter with me. And and actually, you know, the the chronological order of this may be a little bit debatable and, and hard to define, but this may be one of the first times where Jesus sends out a missionary on his behalf. And and he was a foreigner. And I love that. You know, he wasn't a Jew. And so in that moment, Jesus created this moment for that man to repeat to his friends and family and everyone that he talked to over and over and over for the rest of his life. And he did that so many times with the apostles. And, you know, by the time we get to after the crucifixion and after the resurrection and, and we hit Pentecost, man, these disciples have a bank of stories to tell because they hung out with this great story maker of Jesus, you know. What is it about that kind of that method or that way of communicating that you think is so powerful or why, why did he choose to do it that way? There may, you may not have a, a definitive answer, but do you have any theories? No, that's a great question. I think that when, when you own the story yourself, um, we all have these stories of, um, the, the first time that we see a sunrise over the mountains or over the grand Canyon or the, the first time that we, um, kiss a girl or, or go on that date with our, you know, to be wife or husband, or you, when you own that story, it's yours and it's, there's no taking it away from you. And it's, it's kind of a beacon of hope, I think in people's lives that it's a place for us to, to know that we own that knowledge. It's ours. And it's a way for us to relate to other people. You know, one of the, one of the most interesting things I don't know that it's interesting, but it happens a lot is, have you ever been with a group of women 
who some of them have kids and one of them is pregnant and about to have their first. (laughs) And, and, and these moms are all the, you know, they can't help it. They, they start talking about the story of when they had their firstborn and, and the weird things that happened when they were pregnant and the, you know, the first few moments after the baby was born and what that was like and all of these parenting, not advices, but, but just these stories that come out when, when people have kids. And so these stories become a a place on one side, they're unique to each individual mother, but on the other side, they are connective with all of those women that have had kids and those women that, that are going to have kids soon, you know? And so, so there's this bond that happens as, as those stories are told and retold. And I think, you know, I think um, storytellers, storytellers are omnipresent in our society. I mean, like just looking at economics, the cultural community, the storytelling community of America had a bigger economic output than the industrial industries did in the last five years, because we're talking about um, like the movie makers, the, you know, the Avengers movies and all of these movies that get exported outside of the United States. And so those stories are told and, and storytellers are such a, an important part of our society. But before you can be a storyteller, I think that there has to be story makers. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And that got me thinking, and this may be a completely weird question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Fire away. Do you think, like, I, I think back to what you said with Jesus being the ultimate story maker and basically creating missionaries who were then story makers, right? They weren't just telling their story. They were making someone else's story too. Do you think that that same thing happens today? Like you as a story maker, are you creating other story makers? Yes, definitely. It's contagious. (laughs) I think so. So I think that this also calls back to the the time. I don't have the reference off the top of my head, but when, when the apostle Paul tells us to live in a way that makes other people look at us and say, what is different about that person? What is it about that person that makes them so different? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And and so as Christians, we are called to live in a way, and, and normally, you know, I think most of the time when we talk about this, Paul is talking about kindness and generosity and, and forgiving others and all of those sorts of great Christian values, you know, but, but essentially that's what he's talking about. He's like, make other people kind of ask that question. What makes them different? What makes that, that person different? So I think to your question, I think that teachers definitely take on this role. Some of my favorite moments in school were from teachers who were doing real-time activities with us in the classroom. And I still tell those stories to my kids now, you know, and I, I think, I don't know if, uh, I don't know that I'm always making recruiting new story makers. I work with a few other magicians and other, other performing artists. And so I help them. But I think that part of being a Christian is living in a way where, where when you're interacting with the people around you, they end up with a similar, unique, singular experience that makes that 
person talk about you and why you're different. This may be way out in left field, but we're going to see what happens. So yeah. if you think about like an average worship service, like the central focus of it is the sermon, which is essentially storytelling. But then we ask our people to go out and be storytellers to tell the good news about Jesus. How can churches, instead of being storytellers, be story makers? Wow, what a great question. Well, the definition of a disciple is not simply someone who believes in Christ. That is not the complete definition. It's part of it. The complete definition of being a disciple has to do with you believe in Christ, but also go out and make more disciples, right? Yeah. And so, so I think, you know, uh, in the worship service itself, there, there are these moments towards the end of the normal, you know, standard liturgy where you are being sent back out into the real world as Christians and, and as disciples of Christ your mission, your your great commission, is to go out and make more disciples, isn't it? I mean, isn't that isn't that what it's for? Right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, again, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk to us again today. It's been a blast having you. Uh, again, for our, our listeners, if they uh, want to reach out to you about any performances or anything like that, how can they do that? Yeah, I would love to talk to anybody who's looking for a performance at their church or other meetings or whatever, but also, you know, if they just want to chat about what discipleship looks like and those sorts of things, I'd love to chat with them about it. They can reach out to me through my website probably is the easiest way. If you just look up Daniel Jasperson online, you'll find me. Otherwise, magicianatplay.com is the website, and I would love to hear from you. Awesome, Dan. Well, thanks again so much for coming on. There's a lot of good things to be learned and a lot of good things to be told, and I appreciate you taking the time. I'm a weird guy. Thanks for having me on, guys. (laughs) No, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. That just about wraps it up for another episode of the podcast. We'd like to give a special shout-out to our listeners. We know we have a lot of friends listen, and they like to comment on things or post on our Patreon page. But there's some people out there that listen regularly that we really don't know who you are, and we'd love to get to know you. So if you're if you're out there, say, in, like, Haver, Montana, listening right now, and you follow us, check us out on, on Facebook at Wells Creatives and comment on our post. We'd love to get to meet more and more people and connect with more people across the states and the globe. And as always, if you have people you want to hear from or questions you want answers to, feel free to reach out to us at heartsandhandspodcast at gmail.com or on any social media platform at Wells Creatives. And as I mentioned before, we're building a great community on Patreon.com. Uh, thanks again for all the support. If you'd like to check us out there and get extra access to uh, bonus content, uh, uncut episodes, check us out, Patreon.com slash heartsandhandspodcast. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>